Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Each day we is up there. Amen. Galatians chapter number 5. And verse number 22, same setting of verses that we springboarded from uh, each, each week. This is our third week with this. I'm not yet even touching on love, joy, peace, long-suffering, any of that. I'm still trying to wade into the water. And so I, I forecast that probably next week we'll start to be able to get into some of those individual things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering. But not without just talking just a little bit more, amen, about getting into this. I've kind of, you know, been using verses that's after that setting and before that setting, but I think it's important for our complete understanding of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Amen. So thus far we have looked at in our first lesson how Spirit-abiding citizens are law-abiding citizens. Two weeks ago we talked about how His, His way of life becomes our walk of life. We ended with me and Brother Johnson kind of tied up with ropes that nylon rope didn't work real well, but we got the picture. So this morning, I'd like to talk to us about tending a crucified life. Tending a crucified life. Taking care of, monitoring, if you will. Crucified life. Amen. Let's pray today that the Lord be able to touch us afresh today. Father, I come to you today. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for being here. God, anoint my mind and my lips. Pray, O oh Lord, to be able to speak in a manner, God, that can be understood. God, I pray, O oh Lord, that may be able to help somebody, Lord, in their, their walk and their understanding. God, I pray, Lord, grant, Lord, the anointing of your Spirit, Lord, upon us in this place. God, we have felt you, God, through, Lord, the preliminary portions of this service. And I pray, God, even now, God, touch us anew and afresh, God, in this place, and will not fail to thank you and praise you. The lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. In Jesus' name. Tending a crucified life. Look at your neighbor and ask them, are you crucified? Are you crucified? Some have a problem with the idea that if we have been crucified, as the scripture says, with Christ, they have a problem that if we've been crucified with Christ, then there should not be any problem today with our flesh. There's some that believe the idea that whenever Christ crucified, he was the substitute and he was in our place or that we was crucified with him in that moment. And so we should have no other trouble with our flesh as it would be. Yet I read in Scripture oftentimes that the Bible speaks of a continuous war that's in our members of the flesh and the spirit. Spirit against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. And I read of those type of things on this side of Calvary. 
Amen. After the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, that there is still, the Apostle Paul spoke of it very intimately in Romans 7, how the things that he would do, he doesn't do, and the things that he should not do, those are the things that he does. There was a warring that was taking place in his members between the flesh and the spirit. I'd like to, for your consideration today, compare just a couple of verses that are somewhat similar. Galatians 2.20, I think we mentioned last week, could be the key verse for Galatians. The Apostle Paul said in verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I'm crucified, yet I'm living but it's Christ's spirit that lives through me. If what? If we surrender, uh, yield, and are obedient to that spirit. Then consider Galatians 5.24. This is just for contrast comparison, very similar than what we read in our scripture setting today. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Verse 24 of Galatians 5 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust the Bible speaks of. And so these are very similar verses, but there are differences in them. The differences that I wish to point out this morning is this. There is differences in the meaning of the verb crucified that's used in Galatians 5.20, or, or 2.20 rather, and Galatians 5.24. In Galatians 2.20, the verb crucified, and this don't mean anything to you, but it helps us with our, our, our definition of this word. It's in the passive voice in the Greek, which means this. It means was crucified have been crucified. Or if you will, I, Paul's saying, I have been crucified with Christ. And so it refers to an act of something that was in the past. Have been crucified, amen, with Christ. It refers to a past act, more particularly a past act that was done for you and I by somebody else. By somebody else. Christ was crucified in our place. We oftentimes have said it. You've heard it said, that should have been me on the tree, but it was not. It was Christ. He took our place. He was crucified for us on the cross. Amen. And because of that, we today then can stand righteous before God through our obedience and our faith to God. But, ladies and gentlemen, because we still live on this earth and we still possess human flesh and humanness in these lives, we've not yet entered into the fullness of that past event. The fullness of that past event of the crucifix of Christ. So in Galatians 2.24, when we look at the same word crucified, it is, is a verb still, but instead of being in the active voice, amen, it is in the active voice rather than being in the passive voice, which means this, Paul says, I have, those that are Christ have crucified, have crucified, meaning that crucifixion here is not described as something that was done for us, but something that is done by us. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. Christ died in my stead. Christ died back then, there. That's something that Christ did. The crucifix was for us. But Paul's speaking of something that takes place in our own lives that isn't done for us, but's done by us. And so he's saying that we are participants. We are agents, if you will, in this crucifix on a day-by-day -day basis that we see the Scripture bears out through the Spirit that we've received inside of us. 
In other words, every day, that Spirit of the Holy Ghost that I received, if you've not received it, but if you have, if you received the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, every day, that Spirit of the Holy Ghost, I submit and yield to it that there's a crucifixion in my life every day. Every day. And so, I understand then that Jesus Christ secured the victory over sin through his crucifix. He he secured the victory for all of humanity at Calvary. But, everybody say but. We appropriate, we make that victory operative in our lives when we surrender to that spirit that we receive from him on a day-by-day basis. He did the work then, but we let the work become alive in our life day by day after we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Someone say amen. I think John Trapp perhaps said it right. He said whenever Christ came in the flesh, we crucified him. But when he comes into our hearts, he crucifies us. Amen. We had the hand of crucifix against him, but when he comes to our life, he crucifies us. Again, that's the reason why the Apostle Paul that we've already looked at in Philippians said that we are working, and that work is through obedience, we are working out this part, if you will, of salvation, this crucifying of the flesh by the working of God in us. Remember what Paul said? He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for though it is God working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure every day, living a submitted life to God, being obedient to the spirit of God that I receive, is then allowing that spirit to take this flesh to the cross every day. Someone say amen. Here's what the apostle said in Romans 8, 13. He says, for if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify, put to death, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. There is great reason, and we brought this up from time to time, but I bring it up again this morning. Why do you think that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, why do you think he said, I die daily? He's not talking about, he's not talking about every day his physical body dies, but he's talking about a mode of crucifixion. He's talking about a repentance, if you will, in his life every day. He says, I die daily. Christ took care of it on Calvary, but I appropriate what Calvary did for me every day. Every day of my life, I allowed that to be worked out. And so he's mortifying, he's putting to death his flesh every day. Pinch yourself, you're still human. It still hurts. And we still have things that buy for our attention that are not godly, that are not righteous. We have echoes of our past that are constantly vying for our attention. And so with that being said, we got to take this thing, amen, through the submission to the Spirit in us, we got to take this thing to the cross every day. The Bible says, Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, look what the apostle says. He says, everybody say, always, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always, everybody say always, always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. In other words, he's saying you always. There's not a day or a moment that goes by in your life 
that you shouldn't have your flesh in dying mode. Amen. So there should not be a day or moment in your life that you don't have your flesh under the gun, so to speak. Because the moment you don't have it in that position, you open up your life then for the works of the flesh. You always got to keep a handle on the flesh. You always got to keep a handle on, on, on the fleshly portion, uh, uh, the secular portion of your life. And when you do that, when you do that, it's going to enable the Spirit of God that you receive to have preeminence, to have dominance in your life. Now, what does this mean, Brother McGee? Are you telling me, are you telling me that this means that Christ's death on the cross wasn't good enough? Come on. Are you telling me this means that his death was in vain? No! thousand times no but what it simply means is for us this morning is this is if he has given us his spirit and we have given him our lives Christ's spirit we have given ourselves to his spirit we listen this is very important we should not be surprised when his spirit inside us subjects our fleshly portion of our life to a crucifix every day when that's what he did with his own flesh Somebody understand what I'm saying? He's living inside of me. Christ took his own flesh to the tree. He, he, the Bible, well, they said, well, there's people that crucified him. Yes, that's true. But he crucified himself in the sense that he allowed them to put him on the tree. We crucify ourselves in which we allow the spirit that's inside of us take us to a tree every day. If he took his own flesh to the tree, his spirit inside of you is going to take your flesh to a tree as well. We, amen. And so he's going to take this. We shouldn't be surprised. This is not saying the cross was in vain. No. It just simply means if we submitted our life to that same spirit that took him to the tree, he's going to take us there too. And so what's happened and what was affected once for every individual certain the sound of my voice on the cross of Christ, it's got to be worked out in our life by practice, by the Spirit of Christ, in my daily living, my daily life. Christ's victory for me then is now His Spirit's victory in me now. Amen. So again, now I can't crucify myself. I understand that. But it's through your surrendering to God's Spirit that the crucifix comes, a crucified life. Surrendering to Him, allowing Him to work through us. Amen. Is the power of a crucified life working in us. Now I'm going to be very redundant this morning. I'm going to try to say the same thing five times different ways. So no one goes, no one goes uncaptured here today. Christ, again, crucified His own flesh in the sense, remember, no one could take His life. No one. He gave his life. And so him allowing others to crucify him, here's how, let me describe it like this, here's how Christ, in a sense, crucified himself. He allowed others to crucify him when he had the power and choice to prevent it. If that makes sense. You understand what I'm saying? Because the Bible says, whenever he was standing in the garden of Gethsemane and they were coming with their swords and their staves. We can read of it in Matthew 26, 53. This is what he said. He said, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels 
to come and protect him and take care of him. He had a choice right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. If he wanted to, he could have called legions of angels. They never apprehended him. He never went to the tree. None of that would ever happen. He had the power and the choice to prevent it. But what did he do? He submitted to the process. Someone say amen. He submitted to the process. What I'm saying is this. In your life, you have the power and you have the choice to prevent your own crucifix. Uh-huh. But when you get into that yielding, submissive, surrendering mode, you surrender to the process because in the end you know it's for your own good and there's something better that's going to come out on the backside of your crucifix than if you were going to just choose to live your own life, go your own way, make your... Does someone hear me today? What I'm saying is our humanity has to be held in a constant state of crucifix. Amen. Because crucifix does not produce death, and I made this two weeks ago, I believe. Crucifix does not produce death suddenly, but gradually. Amen. Here below, we submit to the Spirit. That Spirit takes our flesh to the cross to crucify it. But here is the difficulty. While our flesh is pinned to the cross, so to speak, we got to have the determination to leave it there. Therein lies the difficulty. Seeing something that's so near and close to us. Our fleshy, fleshly affections, lusts, desires to be restrained and pinned down and not want to remove the nails. Not wanting to take it down off of the tree. The Bible says there in Galatians 4, 5.24, the verb crucified, it denotes this. It denotes simply affixing to the cross and not necessarily putting to death. Crucifix was the affixing, if you will, to the cross. It's, it's that lingering character of death. Crucifix was the process. Death just was the result. Somebody that was crucified was dying. The final result was death. So in an actual crucifix, life is lingering in the victim or whoever it is that's on the tree, although the criminal or whoever it is has been nailed to the cross, they are still alive, but they're in the process of dying. Mm, I'm trying to help somebody today. And so on a daily basis, when we put ourselves on that cross, we're still alive, but we are in a process of dying. Someone say Amen. We're in a process of dying. You say, Brother McGee, you're full of... No, it's evident in Scripture. It's evident that in Scripture, even with the malefactors that was on each side of Christ in their crucifix. The Bible says in Mark 15, 32, here they are, they're crucified. They're all three nailed to the tree. But the Bible says, and they that were crucified with him, speaking of the malefactors, reviled, or if you will, chided or taunted him. They're nailed to the tree, but they still got a voice. They're nailed to a tree, but they're still chiding. They're still taunting. What happens in our everyday lives is this. The old flesh is put on the tree. It's nailed there. It's trying to be restrained. But in our daily lives, its voice is still speaking unto us. 
And the voice comes in your mind. Why don't you do this? Why don't you go here? Why don't you give in there? And it's trying to get you to do everything that you used to do. It's trying even to persuade you. Why don't you take the nail out of your flesh so you can get down off this tree and do some things you'd really like doing? The voice is still there, still speaking. Are you in a crucified mode? Are you trying to die? Yes, but there's still life yet. It's not over yet. Someone say amen. So they're suspended on the tree, but they still got a voice. And as I stated last week, when a person is crucified, they're restrained, yes. And if they're left in that restrained spot, their flesh eventually is going to get weak. And ultimately, death is the result. But in order for the flesh to die, or even the flesh to get weak, it's got to remain on the cross. Not read stories. Now, I try to look up instances. It is quite possible for a person to be nailed to a cross, crucified, and if someone takes them down before they're dead, they could heal and go on and live. That's what happens right here, folks. In a moment of weakness, we're pulling the nails out of where our flesh was tethered. And we get down... There comes a healing, if you will, to what should be dying. And I go back to the addiction I was addicted to. I go back and I speak the language that I used to before I come to know God. And what happens, you allow the healing to take place and you just go on living like you used to live because you didn't leave it on the tree. You got to have, you got to somehow just be, you're saying, look, I can't do that. Here we are again, folks. You can't. But when you surrender to the Spirit, you receive. It'll keep your flesh tethered to the tree until it dies. And so how do I always, Brother Mason, get in this constant cycle? We talked about how do I get in this constant cycle? Because as soon as we nail it to the cross, somewhere before death ever occurs, we're pulling it off the it heals and it goes on. And so we got to tether it back over again. And there's the hours of agony that it's got to go through the process all over again because we didn't leave it on the tree. Someone say amen. So we can't, we, we've got to be careful because we rebel against the process of the crucifix. We want to remove from the cross what's been nailed there. But in order for it to happen, what needs to happen in our lives, in growth and maturity in the Lord, in His Spirit, we got to leave our flesh there. And what that means is this. we got to remain submitted to the Spirit of God that we received when we got saved or at our moment of conversion. Look now. Before Calvary, before Calvary, all of humanity was living in the flesh before Calvary. After Calvary, listen to my wording very carefully, all of humanity had the possibility of living in the Spirit after Calvary. Everybody pay attention. All eyes up here, ears open. To live in the flesh after Calvary. You listening? is to deny or at least ignore that Calvary ever took place. And it's to refuse the benefits that it offered. Are you hearing? Because all of humanity 
has the possibility. It was a done deed at Calvary. But for you to live, continue in the flesh, is to act as though there never was a Calvary. Or to refuse the benefits that that Calvary had to offer you. Someone hear me? Because I understand at Calvary, he died, yes. He died for sin. Sin past, sin present, sin future. But I appropriate that act of Calvary in my life through my repentance unto the Lord. And we oftentimes say, you know, repentance is a turning away from, from the world and a turning toward God. And we always put it in that order. I think more properly the order is repentance is a turning toward God and a turning away from the world. Why do you state it like that, Brother McGee? Because you wouldn't be able to turn away from the world if you don't turn toward God. I know it's just in an act. As you do one, the other automatically happens. But within my flesh, I can't turn away from the world. But if I turn toward God with his empowerment, I can turn away from the world. Not just, not just at a one-time conversion and an ultra prayer when I receive the Spirit of God, but on a day-by-day basis. man by the name of Stott, he said, the first great secret of holiness lies in the degree of decisiveness of our repentance. He says, if besetting sins persistently plague us, it is either because we have never truly repented or having repented, here it is, we have not maintained our repentance. In this life, our repentance needs maintained. You maintain vehicles, you maintain tires. Wouldn't it be great to just go get a set of tires, put them on your vehicle, boom. One set for your lifetime. Never got to put any more air in them. Huh? Don't have to worry about a nail getting in there along the journey. Never have to be rotated. Wouldn't that be awesome? Here you are, instead of being 50,000 mile tires, they are lifetime mile tires. Well, you know, we treat our repentance like that. You know, our punch card, did it, woo, glory. No, Scripture tells me this is a maintained program concerning repentance because in this journey, I'm going to pick up a few nails along the way and I'm not always going to be inflated, if you will, like I need to be inflated and this thing needs rotated. In other words, (laughs) do you understand what I'm talking about here today? It's got to be maintained. Jesus even said it in his own language to his disciples before Calvary ever got there. And I believe he was massaging their minds and their acceptance for what they would need to do, no doubt, after Calvary. But he told them in Luke, Luke records it very well. He told the disciples, those Christians in Luke 9, 23, he said, and he said to them all, those disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his, everybody, cross, next word, daily, and follow me. It's been, it's been several months or a few years ago now that God touched me whenever I read that one time in just my daily reading and God spoke to my heart and he said, let me tell you something. The reason why Christ admonishes his disciples to take up their crosses daily is because when we take up our cross, he knows a cross on the shoulder leads you to a crucifix. So I'm taking it up daily because every day I need it to lead me to a personal crucifix. And that's the way that I tend, if you will, to a crucified life. Listen. Living in the flesh after by God's Spirit 
has come into your life after God has pronounced it dead. Live in the flesh after God has pronounced it dead is like putting your flesh on life support. You listening to me? Because there's been people and there's been controversy. People be on life support a long time might be brain dead. Other things and just I understand its its purpose to help keep someone alive till their body's able to take back over. But there's other scenarios where their bodies are per se never going to take back over and they're just on there. And without it, they were dead. There, there was, their bodies are not taken back over. And so whenever you live in the flesh, after that you've been pronounced dead in the flesh, it's like putting your flesh on life support. And what happens is this. By virtue of the life support that it's on, it looks like it has some functions. It's imitating life. Amen. But it's very superficial. In other words, all of those things that look like life would otherwise cease if it wasn't for the support that they were receiving. Does someone hear me right now? So whenever you, you, you try to live in the flesh after it's been pronounced dead, you just put the flesh on life support. It looks like you're living. Looks like, honey, you're kicking up and you're going on. But if your support was not there to your flesh, it would cease if the Spirit of God is living in your life. There's an old comic, used to be in the newspapers, I don't know if it's in it anymore, old comic called Pogo. Anybody ever read Pogo? No? Okay, well, sorry. Y'all are not very funny people. I need a sense of humor, lighten up a little bit. But the famous words of Pogo in one of his comic strips was this. He was talking to his little buddy, he said, we have met the enemy. He said, and he is us. We got to tend a crucified life. We don't need to live on the opposite side of Calvary. I just want to share this morning because I thought it's interesting how, how it was conveyed. Man explained our difficulties with temptations old lifestyles along these lines. And I just thought it was interesting how it was explained and desired to share it. He said it is though and similar as though if we live this life in a canon, canyon where there used to be real voices that yelled horrible things at us, accusing us, tempting us, pressuring us, hurting us. He said they were loud, insistent, and they were frequent. He said, but they've been stilled. They're dead. But because we still live in this canyon, there are echoes of the old voices. We still hear the old persuasions. So sometimes the echoes can be very loud and clear just as though like someone was saying them again. But no one, he said, is saying it again. There is no new pressure being exerted to do what is wrong. There are only echoes of an old persuasion over and over again that has access to our thoughts and our minds. Listen. Sin on Calvary is tethered to the tree. If you hear anything today, it's an echo of a past wrong. Mm -hmm. what, where do you find your vice that's hard in your life to live? For the most part, I would dare to say that it's not something new that comes on the table. It's something that you had to struggle with before you knew God. Mm-hmm. We got to reckon at Calvary, he took care of the sin. But what happens is, it's still got a voice. Uh-huh. 
It's still got a voice. And it speaks to us and it persuades us and it tries to ensnare us to some old, old habits. Now, let's go on. I, I got to run here today. Amen. In verse number 24 of Galatians 5, the Bible says that, and they that are Christ, or they that belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh, the affections and the lusts. Amen. So what this lends to this morning is the idea that we have crucified the flesh. Here's the facts. Just walk with me here for a few more moments. Here are the facts. Since Christ, he had no sin. Bible guarantees that. Bible tells us that, that he was without sin. Tipped in every way like we are, yet without sin. Christ had no sin. So listen to me. The wording is very important. So since he had no sin, he could not die to sin. Could not die to sin. There was no sin in his life. So he couldn't die to sin. Only thing he could do was die for sin. However, since in these lives we're born after the nature, the Adamic nature, we're born as sin a part of our makeup, as sin a part of these human bodies. And so since we are born into that and born as being mastered by sin, we're mastered by sin the moment that we leave our mother's womb. Then we need to die too. Sin. Here's the solution. Christ died for sin so that we could die too. Are you kidding it? To sin. Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. We died. He died for sin. But now there must be a daily crucifix in my life that I die to sin. What happens when you die to sin? When you're dead, you don't know anything that's going on. When you, when you die to sin, sin doesn't have a persuasion in your life. Are you listening to me? You know, dead person don't know if it's hot or cold. I'm just saying. The, the feelings and, and stuff, they're not there. Whenever you die to sin, sin doesn't have the bearing on you like it once did because you're dead to it. Does someone hear me? The Bible says, listen to me now, listen to me. And so, so Christ died for sin so that we could die to sin. Amen? And so whenever we belong to Christ, the Scripture says, those that are Christ have crucified the flesh. How do I know if I'm Christ? How do you know? Romans 8 and verse number 9. How do I know I'm Christ? Do I just believe and I know? The Bible says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Layman's terms, you don't belong to him. If you don't have his Spirit. So having his Spirit means you belong to Christ. And when you have the Spirit and you belong to Christ, you'll crucify, you'll die to sin. Is everybody doing okay? Turn your Bibles open. If you've got a Bible, turn it open to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6, tremendous chapter. But in Romans chapter number 6, the apostle begins to go through here and he's talking about crucifix. He's talking about burial. 
He's talking about a new life and resurrection. He's talking about how all these things took place in the life of Jesus Christ, that he was crucified and he was buried and he did resurrect. But he goes on and begins to speak about how we likewise can be crucified with Christ in verse number 6, that our old man is crucified with Christ in verse number 6, and that in verse number 4, how we can also be buried with Christ by baptism. And verse 4 and 5, it talks to us how then we can even walk in this newness of life and be also in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. It's stating some facts here. It's just laying out some facts for you and I about what Christ did and how we can parallel, mirror that in our own lives, if you will, by repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now here it is. We got to, we need to, it's necessary that we die to sin because here's what one person said like this. He said, sin never dies of old age. <laughs> it's not like you get this old long lingering sin in your life and sure enough, it's going to get old enough and, be long, and last long enough in your life. It's just going to kill off. Sin does not die of old age. Sin has to be dealt with. And folks, it was dealt with. I'm being redundant. I'm saying it again. It was dealt with at Calvary, listen, by a substitutionary death. Christ died in your place. But, listen to me, Calvary for each of us must be more than just fondly looking at Calvary and fondly, fondly looking at that substitution that Christ did for you and I. Calvary isn't just saying, I'm glad he took my place. Calvary also means we need a fellowship in the suffering. Huh? Watch me now. Galatians 6, 14, the Bible says, here's Paul writing. He said, but God forbid that I should glory because he was talking about the, uh, these Galatians, some of those that were glorying in their flesh. He said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I can do that. Man, the substitutionary death, woo! I can glory in that. But he goes on. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. What's that? That's not just glorying in a substitution. That's glorying in his participation and fellowship. Right. Let me go on just a little. See, Paul is letting us know that when he enters fellowship with Christ in a crucified life, the life of the world and all of the world's allurements becomes as dead to him. He's dead according to the world. Philippians 3, I got a lot of scripture. I got to go, I got to go. Philippians 3 and verse number 10. I think this sums it up better than anything. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made, that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. How? Being made conformable unto his death. So it's not me just me standing here saying, well, he died in my place. No. It's me becoming conformable to his death on a day-by-day -day basis, having fellowship with that suffering of Christ. Look at verse 11. If by any things I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though, look at him. This is Paul. Filled with the spirit of the Holy Ghost. And he says, not as though I already obtained. In other words, I haven't attained everything there is to attain right now. Neither were already perfect. I'm not perfect 
but I follow after. What's he doing? He's striving. He's saying, I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, look, he says, I count not myself to have apprehended. So I'm thankful for my new birth experience, but I'm still on a journey. I'm still in process. I'm not there yet. I've received the Holy Ghost, but I still got some maturity that needs to take place in my life. I've not yet attained everything there is to attain. I've not apprehended everything there is uh, apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things that are before, he says, I press toward the mark. What are you saying, Paul? Paul's saying, I'm tending a crucified life. I'm still in process. I have my flesh tethered to the tree, and it's dying. Amen. But it's not going to be over till rapture one of these days. And I don't have to deal with the struggle between this flesh and the spirit and the spirit and the flesh so I gotta keep it on the tree I can't take it down I can't listen to its voice I gotta let it remain right there I've not yet attained everything there is to attain yet Paul saying my, my race isn't finished I'm still striving I'm not perfect I'm trying to tend a crucified life here I'm thankful for a substitute but I I'm becoming conformable to his death I'm in the fellowship of his suffering right now and when I do this Paul lets us know when this happens when we submit to the will of the spirit in our life and it keeps us crucified you know what happens it offers up a place in an environment for the fruit of the spirit to flourish in one's Fruit of the Spirit doesn't manifest itself when you reach a state of perfection. No. Fruit of the Spirit manifests in a person's life when they consistently submit to the process. Uh huh. You're not perfect yet. None of us will be on this earth. But we submit to the process of keeping those things that would have the upper hand to pull us down roads and places that we should not go or need not go or not in accordance with His Word. When we stay tending to the crucified life, the fruit of the Spirit could flourish in one's life. Romans 6, and I'm, I'm hurrying toward a close because we need to. I think I am. In Romans 6, verses 1 through 10, Paul's laying out all the facts. He's saying there was a Calvary. He's saying Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus resurrected. He's telling us that we can be crucified with him in repentance, that we can be buried with him in baptism that we can live with him in a new way of life by resurrection, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And then he comes to Romans 6 and verse number 11, and he says this, after stating all those facts, he says, likewise, speaking to us, those who are listening to Romans, he says, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, that word reckon means, he says, conclude. In other words, continuously count yourself dead to sin. It means to keep a mental record of the events for the sake of some future action. He says, you keep in your mind what happened at Calvary for your future everyday life. You remind yourself, McGee, when you were eight years old, you died to sin. Yeah. Another way to state that is to remind yourself, when you were born again of the water and the spirit, remind yourself, you are now not what you used to be. He said the facts are he had a death, burial, and resurrection. The facts for some of you sitting here today, you've had your death, burial, and resurrection. But the thing is this, you've got to remind yourself every day that you're not 
what you used to be. And therefore, you will not participate in what you used to participate in. You will not go, you will not say, you will not, why? Because I've had my own death, burial, and resurrection. I'm reminding myself, I'm, I'm reckoning, I'm concluding, I'm continually counting myself. I'm dead to sin. I'm a dead man to sin. So say amen. Look then at verses 12 through 14. After you, you come to this understanding of truth, you yield to it, you obey it, you surrender. He says, let not, that's our will involved, let not then sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield, there it is, yield, submit, obey. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Why is he saying that? He said, because you're remembering that you're not that person anymore. He says, so don't be, if you are dead to sin, don't be yielding your members to sin. If you said you died then, he said, then don't act like it's still alive. Yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion. Sin doesn't have dominion over a dead person. For you are not under the law, but under grace. So here it is. And uh, man, I still got more, but stand. I'll just close. I'm serious. You can stand. I do have more. When we recall what Christ did on Calvary for us and how that empowers us to then die to sin in our everyday lives. It enables us then to function and to yield to the Spirit we received. The fruit of the Spirit can be produced in our lives. And we cannot live then, we have power to not live under the dominion of sin. In other words, we can live and walk like we know there was a Calvary. And that we've experienced the benefits of that Calvary in our own lives. I close with these. Let's go with these verses and I'll shut up, Sister Mindy. Colossians 3, 1. The Bible says, If ye then be risen, everybody say risen, with Christ. What that attests to is your Holy Ghost infillment. That old man and old things pass away, behold, all things become new. If then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Which Christ sitteth on the right hand. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set. Everybody say set. Your affection. Why? Because your affections and lusts have been crucified. So now set your affection. On things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. When that happens. When rapture takes place someday. And that takes place. He said there's going to come a day. The Lord's going to come back. You're going to appear with him in glory. That's going to happen. But that's not happened yet. So here is the admonition of the Apostle Paul. Look now. You've risen with Christ. You've had, you've had that experience in your life. You're setting your affection on things that are above. You're setting your things on, on righteous things and godly things because the Spirit is helping you do that through you. There's going to come a day you're going to be caught away. Christ's going to come home, but it's not happened yet. So here's his admonition in verse 5. Mortify, therefore, why is he saying that? Because he understands the struggle of us with our flesh and our humanity. Still in this life, filled with the Spirit, but not yet raptured. 
He says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. So Paul's basically telling those at Colossae here to the, the, the Colossian church, he's telling them simply this. He's saying, live your life like you have been crucified. Let Christ's spirit live in you. Don't be bound by the old regulations of your old former life. But he's saying, fail not though to mortify, to put to death, to put in that dying process the members that are still upon the earth. Because rapture's not happened yet. What is he basically saying? He's saying what my subject has been to you all morning. He's basically telling us this. Keep tending to a crucified life. Keep tending to a crucified life. Can we bow our heads? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.